I was I, over to Buddy's house, and of course, you know, we were, you know, doing stuff we weren't supposed to be doing, and playing go fish, like, and, yeah, playing go fish, mm -hmm. and, and and talking about how know, much you loved your mom, reading reading New Testament scripture, <laughs> um, and uh, and it just so happened, Mushuka came on. It just so happened, it was an accident. I think there was a demonic possession across the street. Welcome into a new episode of Get Fiddles and Paradiddles. My name is Chris. My name is John. And John, uh, as the title says, we are in part two of our recording techniques from the 90s. Um, from part one, if you guys haven't listened to part one, please go back. Please listen to part one. We definitely yes, break down some really cool stuff. Um, dealing a lot with uh, recording techniques, just as the, uh, the title says. Mm -hmm. um, you guys should definitely go check out. Uh, part one, if you haven't, if you have, then John, we've come to the payoff, as they say. Yes, um, this is the uh, this is the the money, the money shot right here, Chris. This yes, is what they all came to see. Yes. Um, so originally, John and I had said that we would do this as you know a four part thing: sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. And when we got to the nineties one, and we were breaking down albums, and we were talking about the recording techniques. John and I, I mean, we're, we're children of the 90s. We're influenced by 90s music, and we knew that it was going to take a lot longer. So, hence the reason we broke this into two parts. Yeah, I felt like it was, we, we owed it to the listener to kind of spread this out so we can really kind of, you know, savor the, savor the, the information and uh, chop it up a little bit, uh, a, little bit a little more evenly, Chris. Yes. Across the across the spectrum of the '90s, I like that we're. A, it's kind of compartmentalizing. You know, we talk about yeah. like the techniques themselves in part one, and then in this episode, if you guys don't know, if you listen to the very end of part one, John and I are going to be breaking down our favorite albums from the '90s. Um, mostly, what we mean by that are the ones that influenced us the most as musicians. Um, we've got a lot of favorite albums, but specifically, and I think that the, the caveat here is these are the ones that in, influence us the most. Yes, for sure. I mean, you know, the nineties, uh, for, for, and I feel like I can kind of speak for you a little bit was a, where the rubber met the road musically for us. Right. Like, There's a lot of, a lot of things that we were getting introduced to, um, you know, we started you know, taking our instruments serious at this point, or at least, you know, we, we kind of had a, a sneaking suspicion, if you will, that this was something that we were going to do. And just so much, you know, um, you know, golden age, if you will, um, mm -hmm. a renaissance of bands, um, you know, the, the technological innovation that was happening in the recording process, just so much stuff was going on in the nineties, man, that, you know, um, it was really kind of like the, the record companies didn't know it, but it was really the beginning of the end of right. that era of the music industry okay, right. from a business side, but musically speaking, 
it's so hard. I mean, I, I was listening to so much music in the nineties, man, like so much stuff, man. You and that's know, what had, John and I, that's what John and I, we, we laughed kind of going back and yeah. forth. We were <laughs> like, uh, so, so we, we, we kind of holding each other accountable and saying, okay, we're going to each pick 10 albums, but we didn't realize just how hard that would be. Yeah. It's like, it's like, sure, Jan, you pick 10. Sure. Right. Uh, there's no way, um, you know, I just, I, you know, I made a preliminary list of just, and it's like, okay, I'm not going to do a top 10. I'm just going to try to do the bands that I, that, that were super influential to me at the time. Right. And, you know, once I got to like 35, I was like, okay, this is out of control here. I gotta, mm -hmm. I gotta, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> and, you know, and it may, and it was kind of a, you know, it kind of took me back in time a little bit, you know, to, to really what, uh, it, it just, it felt so new. Like, you know, it's like when you find like a, it's like if you find money in the parking lot, you know, it's like, Oh man, this is my lucky day. You know, right. and I felt like when I was listening to the stuff, it's like, man, this is my lucky day. This is the greatest stuff ever. Yeah. You know, well, that we just, just have, that, there's so many memories associated yeah, with these albums and these moments. And, yeah. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. You but know, they were like big, they were big musical moments. They were like, you know, you could tell it, 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 at least for me, maybe not, I couldn't tell like physically, but like it was seeping into my, into my musical soul. You know, this was, this was stuff that I would take with me, you know, down my musical journey. Yeah. Uh, all of these different, you know, influences, but especially our top 10 that we had to, somehow some way narrow it down these top tens were just that was it you know yeah. what i mean those were the big ones the big so ones. what we found out too as we were putting our list together is um john and i ended up having similar albums in the top 10 so we we're kind of going to cheat a little bit and i think you guys are going to like it um we compared our list before starting the uh the episode and anywhere John and I had common ground, we actually created a separate list, which yep. means that we we had these on, on our list. So in a way, we're cheating a little bit because we have a new, fresh, nice 10, 10 albums that are mine, 10 albums that are his, plus a few extras. Yeah, and I, but I think we're doing, uh, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't allow this to happen. That way we can kind of, the ones that were like on the outside of the top 10 looking in, we gave them a chance to kind of come into our, our vector. Definitely. You know definitely. That's a great, that's a great analogy. You like my it. term vector, a vector. vector. What's your vector, so, Victor? What's your vector, Victor. Roger, Roger. <laughs> so, um, I think the first thing we're going to do, John, and we, we, we kind of flipped a coin on this is we're just going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I've got like, you know, the internet is full of lists. Everything yes. can be listed. Yes. And of course, 90s albums are listed. So um, I've got a couple lists. And what I'm going to okay. do is just name out some, I'm just going to say call out. I'm going to call out some 90s albums. And okay. the idea will be to, you know, just as we, as, as we say the album, uh -huh. artist will be important. But th this is right. specifically 90s specific albums. Specific 90s albums. Okay. Did did they impact you mm -hmm. or, you know, as a player or, mm -hmm. and, and, and here's, I think here's the challenge is try to put your, yourself in the, the mental frame, 
work or just okay. this frame of mind of being that 90s kid, right? Oh, okay. Because mm. when I first looked at this list, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But I then had to stop and go, wait a minute. A lot of these albums I didn't discover till after maybe – 2005 mm -hmm. yeah that w it was it was just coming out of that decade same here lot lots of lots of things kind of were were you know going over the head a little bit so to speak and yeah didn't get turned on until you know like you're saying early 2000s because there's so much that's the thing like you get you know as i'm sure all of our listeners do you know have similar experiences like when you're when you get turned on to a new band it's like you listen to that band for a couple of weeks and you go down the rabbit hole and try to find bands that sound like them. You'll find another one. Your point is you're like, you're kind of locked in that genre, right? You right. kind of just get sucked into that kind of vibe and you just kind of, you're rinsing, rinse and repeat yep. on, you know, through, throughout your, your days and weeks and months until, you know, the new soup du jour comes along and you're just like, Oh my God, what is that? Mm -hmm. So yeah, we definitely have a lot of those bands that kind of were nineties bands, but we didn't necessarily kind of really start getting on our radar until, you know, two thousands, early two thousands. Right. right. So I'm just going to hit a few. Um, okay. I think what's Let's interesting this. and this, this, this to me speaks volumes for the nineties. Yeah. You think about music now, like yeah. the, if we were to go look at a 2000s list or a 2010s list, mm -hmm. it would look nothing like this. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is most of the albums I'm going to call out that are in several of these lists, like the top 20 yeah. are rock albums. Yep. Rock was huge in the 90s, right? Dude, we had the 90s the, was like the golden age for rock. I'm sorry I keep saying that golden age word. I'm just, I'm wearing it out. But man, it for for like rock music good lord man what a time to to be in a rock band yeah rock was exploding so um let's just start number okay. one on pretty much every single list is nirvana's nevermind oh yeah um, you know that was huge i will say i was not really influenced by nirvana i felt mm -hmm. like uh, and then we'll get into our list but i felt like bands like Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. These bands were more polished, which is the kind yeah. of music I lean towards, like a mm -hmm. little bit more polished as far as like the song, mm -hmm. maybe the song arrangement or mm -hmm. even the vocals themselves. Like Nirvana was sloppy to me. So yeah, yeah, totally. I agree with that. Um, you know, that, that Nevermind record was, I was totally influenced by that man. And I think what influenced me was the fact that I knew I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to be in a band, but I thought that I was like the front man and the guitar player right. at that time. Right. Cause I was already playing in some bands and I want, I was singing in a couple of these bands and I really didn't need to be singing, mm -hmm. but like, you know, Kurt Cobain is not, you know, he's not freaking Pavarotti. You know what I mean? But he was it, kind it, of, he was almost viewed that way because music, you know, in the eighties had come to this like pinnacle yeah. of just like pretty boys with teased hair and makeup on and leather yeah. and like everything was like shred guitar. And mm -hmm. I mean, he was just, he came along as like almost a prophet, you know, like it doesn't have to be so pretty. It can be messy. And then it, like for you and probably maybe tens, hundreds, even millions of people that mm -hmm. wanted to play music. They were like, this guy's doing it. Wait, I can do that. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. That's Not to exactly. downplay what he was doing, but it definitely no, no, made no. music seem more accessible. It did. It totally did, man. It's like it, it made it, you could see it made it attainable. 
right? Because compared to, you know, sonically, you know, my, you know, I wasn't a, as trained of a musician as I am right now, but sonically, man, like it just, it was different from like, you know, you put on the Pearl Jam record and you put on Nevermind mm -hmm. and it's like, sonically it's completely different man it's it you said it it's sloppy but it's a good sloppy it's a good sloppy it is you know what i mean um, it's it's yeah. like it's the it's a a a, a a creative sloppy it's a, a almost a purposeful sloppiness to it but yeah. yeah inside the sloppiness you had amazing songwriting like kirk cobain was a great songwriter man like his songs were like lyrically speaking were pretty freaking awesome, man. Mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, lots of just deep, you know, lyrical content, great melodic fr phrasing ideas and stuff that uh, really caught my ear. Uh, but I think the the thing that for me, just to kind of sum up what Nirvana did for me was like you were saying, man, it was like, okay, I can do, I can do that. You know, I can be in a band and and sound sloppy and not sing my best but if i have you know kick-ass riffs and good songwriting like that's like okay i can see that like that's the formula right right that's kind of obtainable right as opposed to when you put on you know your Soundgarden record, and I hate to kind of foreshadow and talk about, but you know, like Chris Cornell, like lyric, like as as a vocalist, is he's in the pantheon, man. Mm -hmm. Like there ain't a whole mm -hmm. lot of people that can do that, pull that stuff off. No. You know what I mean? No one. So I think that's what Nirvana did for me was it made me uh, just like it gave me the 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 confidence, you know, to mm -hmm. go out there and like. It ain't about the look. It ain't about any of that other stuff. It's about just being an artist. Right. So what I'm going to try to do, since since I know your picks, I know my picks, I'm going to kind of dodge around some of those because I know it'll give us time to talk Yeah. Uh, a little bit later. We mm -hmm. mentioned this album, and it shows up in the top 10 pretty much every time. Atlantis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill was huge. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, God, that was a huge record, man. Yeah, I mean... You know, another one that, um, you know, I, I never was a, was a big fan of it. You know, didn't really do anything for me, but that was a huge record, man. Like it, that was a, especially for like chicks, man. Like, I don't think she gets enough credit for, you know, she really like broke down a lot of, a lot of walls for chicks, man, who wanted to be rockers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like. It, 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 people didn't take you seriously. I don't think, you know what I mean? Um, it, I could be wrong. I mean, there's, there's tons of like, you know, chick bands back in the nineties, but like she really did a number, you know, she had the, the, the ability to, you know, do her own thing, but she sold a lot of records, man. Well, I think the, the reason for it was of one of the biggest reasons is that she was unguarded. You know, like she, yeah, that's great she, word. she, yeah, she was not totally. guarded. I think a lot of artists, like female artists were trying to do the pop thing. Mm -hmm. And even if it was a rock band, they were trying to like polish it as if it were pop yep. and it, this yep. was not pop. And she was just unguarded and like, just, mm -hmm. you know, free mm -hmm. to say whatever she wanted to. I mean, 
you know, you ought to know, just read those lyrics. And if I'm not mistaken, the freaking record, all those record are, excuse me, all those songs about all the, the, the breakups and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that was about? No, we'll have to get our fact checkers on this guys. So mm-hmm. don't hold me to this freaking Dave Coulier, the dude from full house. Really? The cut it out. That guy. Oh. <laughs> that wow. guy. Yes. No way. I'm, I definitely want to look. I'm 90, I'm 90, 95% sure. That's who all those FU songs on that record were about. Wow. Dave okay. Coulier. Y'all look it up. I'm going to look it up. This is fact checkers. I'm going to get, I'm going to get you guys on this and let, let me know if I'm wrong, but we digress. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 um, it, it, I remember somebody telling me that and I was like, there's no way. And then I, you know, saw it on the internet. So it must be true. It must be true. We got to look it up. Uh, so let's take a hard right here, John. Yeah. Let's, um, let's do that. Let's, let's I think we would be, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about some hip hop from the nineties. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah Obviously yeah, hip hop yeah. in the nineties blew up early nineties, late eighties. Sure. Yeah. Early nineties was where it was at. Oh yeah. Dude. So I'm kind of going to go rapid fire here kind of quick. Okay. And yeah, just yeah, get yeah. your Throw them like, at me. Throw them at me. Beastie boys, ill communication. Oh God. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. So good. If right? it's going to be that kind of party, I'm going to put my, mm, in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, awesome. the slim shady LP. Oh God. Right? Yeah, so man. we got like, you know, I'm shady. Yeah. My fault. Like, 1999. I mean, that's kind of a, I mean, he was all over the nineties. Um, yeah. no doubt's tragic kingdom. That's on this list. Yeah. Um, that's dude. one of my wife's favorite bands. I mean, dude, they, you know, that was a great record, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't care for them personally. They're not my cup of tea. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a, that was big, big record. And there's plenty of Foo Fighters on here too. I mean, Foo Fighters mm-hmm. were all over, uh, color in the shape and mm-hmm. even their, their debut album, which, um, I'll stick around. You know, like yeah, Foo Fighters was a band I mean, for me. Was a band for me, Chris. I really didn't appreciate until honestly, like probably just recently. Really? Yeah. Um, they were just always. I kind of always kind of kept them at arm's reach. Not because it was. I don't know, man. I, I think a lot of it was was, you know, I just couldn't take Dave Grohl serious outside of Nirvana mm-hmm. for some reason, you know. That might have been my own ignorance, but I was just like, ah. you know, like I just didn't really give it, I didn't give it its due. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, later in life, it just kind of, it hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it hit me right. One that you brought up, that's actually on this list, Dr. Dre, the chronic, like, dude, we, we, here's what we said before is that we, John and I both weren't really influenced musically by hip hop, but it was always on, you know, like oh, you yeah, go to someone's man. house or you get in someone's car or you turn on the radio, hip hop was everywhere. And this chronic album was like, I mean, it was on, I feel like I've heard the same four songs on it. Cause it was just like hit after hit after hit. Yeah. Yeah, man. It really was, man. And, and the cool thing about that record to me was the fact that there were actual drums and bass, like live musicians doing right. this stuff. Right. Yeah. There was no trap beats. There, there was mm-hmm. no, you know, sampled logic loops. You know, it was real musicians in the studio. Yep. Like with laying it with, down with guys that were really good MCs that could really rap. 
So and, here, and here's one, here's one for you. Here's one for you. I'm going to call okay. out and you're going to have a story mm, and mm. you ready? Okay. I'm ready. TLC, crazy, sexy, cool. Tell me about, about this album and, and, and a very, very specific individual that played a massive role in TLC success. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, that record was huge, right? I mean, massive, that whole, you know, Dallas, Austin, TLC, that whole, that whole scene. So at Atlanta Institute of Music, where I went to music school, one of the drum instructors, uh, his name was Tom Knight and Tom Knight. I did not know. I didn't, I know, I knew nothing about Tom Knight, what he did. I didn't know any, anything about anybody at that point. You know, I was just, I barely made it into, into that place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so at any rate, um, come to find out, you know, Tom Knight, this world-class drummer, you know, he's in the touring band. Mm -hmm. TLC and, touring you know, band, yeah. And TLC was constantly coming in and out if they needed a place to rehearse, if they couldn't get at their normal spot, they would come into the uh, rehearsal room at, uh, at the old AIM building that used to be in the, uh, in the, in the, in the bowels of Norcross. Uh, now they're in the posh studio in, in Duluth. Um, but yeah, so Tom Knight was like, he was the guy at school, you know, in, in the drone department, he was, he did all the stuff for TLC, did all the recording, the touring, um, he, um, uh, like he was the dude there, man, you know, and I could see why, you know, I, they, they, uh, TLC came and did like a, I don't know if it was in, I don't know what tour it was or if they were about to go back on tour or, or what have you, but I remember them in their, uh, I think it was ain't too proud to bet whatever that number is. Mm -hmm. They were in there and Tom Knight had like this little, little eight bar drum solo and it was just nasty. Mm -hmm. I was like, that was one of those times at music school. I was like, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> I don't know if this is the right. Yeah. I mean, cause I like all, the, all the musicians turn. on the stage were just, just, freaking monsters man yeah uh but yeah that was my first kind of um that kind of set the tone for what was to come at aim mm -hmm. and um it was it was pretty cool man like i had no idea you know that the uh the head drum instructor was tlc's drummer Man, you know, it was pretty amazing. cool, man. It was Crazy. really, really cool, man. Very, uh, very neat to see all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, if you don't know who Tom Knight is, go check him out. He's, he's amazing. He's got like a, he's a jack of all trades, man. He's got like, he's won like Emmy, Emmys for voiceover work. And he's a beast, man. Yeah. He's a beast. A band we should definitely bring up. Not specifically albums, but we should talk about REM, even if we weren't, oh, yeah. you know, we weren't really, I wasn't really influenced by REM, but of course they influenced music and mm -hmm. to have mm -hmm. like a huge representation from Athens, Georgia, REM yeah. was massive in the nineties. Yeah. They were a constant, man. I remember, you know, back, you know, in the nineties in the late nineties when I would go to Athens and use my fake ID to get in bars, like you would run into all those guys, man. They would, they would be, you know, hanging at the 40 watt, you know, uh, there was a couple of spots that 
you could, you know, um, you know, kind of you'd you'd run into them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing for like the B fifty twos. Those guys are all from Athens. You'd constantly be running into them downtown on the weekends. But yeah, they were massive, dude. Like they were. I mean, God, you know, they're a huge band, dude. I mean, huge band, yeah, just massive, man. Massive. So I'm going to call out an album that, okay, you're going to totally know. I'm looking okay. at this list, and as I'm scrolling through it, I go, "What? Yeah, I guess that's right." Aerosmith, 1993, "Get a Grip." Mm, so the big record, tracks dude. is "Crying," yep, um, "Crazy." You know, like this, I didn't think that was 93. I thought it was much later, yeah. but yeah. these were like, those were huge songs for them. I mean, they were massive in the seventies and eighties, but this nineties album, I can remember those songs vividly. Yeah. Like to me, like that was like their, their John Travolta Pulp Fiction moment. Yeah. Like they got reintroduced back into the, the, the major rock pop scene, man. Cause those, those songs were massive, man. They were on rotation on MTV back when MTV used to play music videos. Like, you know, all your rock stations, like you would hear those songs probably three or four times a day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Massive, massive, massive. Tupac, record. All Eyes on Me. All Eyes Tupac, on Me, baby. Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. We got yeah. to give those a mention. Yeah, for sure, uh, man. Big, God, big man. albums. Yeah. Um, let's do one more. I'm going to look at this and I'm going to pull okay. one more and then we're going to get into our list. Mm, All right. What what would maybe catch you off guard? I like to, you guys may not know this, but I like to try to stump John, but it's almost impossible. John is like a walking music. I am a student of music, man. He is. I do not discriminate. Here we go. Okay. My first Michael Jackson album, which is probably some kind of blasphemy, but my first Michael Jackson album was 1991's Dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah, man. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that one had black and white on it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the time mm-hmm. and the song dangerous itself was really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was kind of, that was it from MJ, man. Like everything kind of honestly, like after that record, it was like crash and burn math. Yep. Like his whole, everything just started to just go crazy, man. Yeah. For him. Came apart. Came apart for sure. But yeah, that was a big record. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it was a, um, kind of a, uh, as far as musically, I just remember, you know, obviously the, you know, slash doing the black and white thing, but it just felt like it to me, um, it just didn't feel like typical Michael Jackson stuff. It almost kind of felt like it was contrived a little bit, but yeah. And yeah. maybe it was. I mean, I've heard so many stories about how it was really difficult towards, I may, maybe this was the time period, but towards the end of what felt like the best stuff. Like it was hard to keep him in the studio. He was so focused on his dancing and whatever else he was interested in. Like he would just wander and it was, you know, just like trying to grab him by the hand or by the neck and like bring him back into the studio. Like, okay, we got to cut this vocal track. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, it was, um, I think that was the first record that, you know, he, Quincy wasn't involved, man. It was like, you know, and you could tell, man, cause Quincy just had like this, um, had this vibe mm-hmm. that, you know, he would put off, um, into Michael, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. He just knew how to reach him. You know, that's, that's the, 
of many things. That's the the sign of a great producer. Yeah, yeah, he could tap in. That's yeah, he could tap into Michael and kind of get the best out of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a big record, man. No doubt, dude. No doubt. Well, I'm not even sure how many we called out there, John. I know we've been going at it for probably about half an hour now. Um, Rapid fire. Yeah, rapid rapid fire. fire. So speaking of rapid fire, these next ones will be, uh, let's just get into our list, John. Yeah, let's go go knee deep in this thing. So let's remember, we had to trim this down to 10. And there's some that I left behind that I'm just like, ah, it just feels bad. Like, I can't. Yeah, you know, and maybe if we've got time, we might do some honorable mentions just, just to make ourselves sleep better tonight. But yeah, it's, it's, it's hard, man. I mean, like, it's just so much, a lot of stuff, so much great music, a lot of stuff that was, you know, getting, getting our fires lit, man, for sure. But let's get into this, man. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So you want to go first? You want me to go first? You go first. All right. Go first. So, if you guys are a, a listener of the podcast, you know that I am a massive Dream Theater fan. I'm a massive mm-hmm. Mike Portnoy fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my number mm-hmm. one has to be Dream Theater's album, Awake. Shocker. Yeah, big shocker, right? Another news, water's wet. <laughs> um, Awake was a huge, huge turning point for me because up till that point, I had been listening to whatever was on the radio. And it was, I mean, I'd only been playing drums for like two years when I heard Mike Portnoy play. And here I am like looking through modern drummer magazines and, you know, they're running ads constantly for Portnoy and for Dream Theater. And you remember Blockbuster music, right? Oh, hell yeah, dude. For, for our listeners, dude. if you don't know what Blockbuster A, oh my God. Blockbuster is, Blockbuster Video, yep. Blockbuster was brilliant yeah. and opened music stores. Yep. And they allowed you to basically grab a CD from the rack, bring it up front. And they would cut the thing open in front of you and let you listen to it before buying it. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So yep. I find this thing and I'm at Blockbuster Music and I see this Dream Theater Awake album and I'm like, oh, maybe I should get this thing. And it it changed my drumming path entirely for the better because it went mm-hmm. from learning like little pop songs to understanding musical composition, you know, yeah, like you, odd yeah, time you, signatures. You got, you got a taste of a, like musical, that's a perfect word, like the compositions that these guys were, were pulling off in the studio and live, mind you, like, dude, you, you weren't getting that from, you know, your typical, uh, Pearl Jam, if you will. Right. You know, right. for lack of a, it was Pearl Jam better, or better Stone Temple Pilots, which these are great things and these are, these will mm-hmm. come up, but, yeah. um, it was, it was a totally different thing. And just mm-hmm. for me to wrap my head yeah, around, man. you know, at that point, double bass and, you know, polyrhythms and odd time meet. I mean, just, just all that stuff was just mind blowing. And yep. that album still lives on as, as one of the best in my mind. One, so that's, that's a good, that's one, a good man. one. So that's my number one, John, what you got? That's your number one. Okay. Well, I'm going to stick to, I can't, I would feel like a, I would feel like people would look at me some kind of way. I can't put any of these in order. Okay, I'm just going to, I've got 10, and I'm just going to throw them at you. Okay, these are in no particular order, because each one of these has a special place in my heart. Okay, okay. Okay, is that, is, is that fair? I think that that may be the fairest way to do it. If we only could pick 10, the the next worst thing to do would be to make you, you know, organize those in like yes. top 10, like number yes. one. So that, that's probably incredibly fair. So I'm going to keep it on this hard rock prog rock thing but this is probably taking it up a notch is the first time i heard mashuga 
Mm. Uh, it was the contradictions collapse record. Yes. I, was, I was over at a buddy's house and of course, you know, we were, you know, doing stuff we weren't supposed to be doing and playing go fish. Like, and, yeah. Playing go fish mm -hmm. and, and, and talking about know, how much you loved your mom reading, reading new Testament scripture. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it just so happened. Mushuka came on. It just so happened. It was an accident. I think there was a demonic possession across the street. Yep. Uh, no, but he, he obviously, I don't, I don't, I think he had to order this from a record store. Mm -hmm. and get it shipped into the record store. And uh, he put this on. The first song he put on was uh, Humilitive. And if you haven't heard like this track before, you need to go and listen to it. It scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, it was like <laughs> same kind of same kind of thing. Like you were saying, Chris, I mean, polyrhythm. Um, just uber slick composition mm -hmm. arrangement. Like I had never been introduced to this type of metal before it, it like literally transformed what I thought like metal was, mm -hmm. you know, um, you I mean, cause got, up to that point, what we compared it to was like eighties yeah. metal, right? Yeah. Eighties metal. Right? That exactly. was 80s metal. And yeah. then Mushuga comes along and you're like, what is this? Yeah, it's like, oh my god, what is this? Not only that, but the the guitar players, the the improv improvisational, that's a tough word, abilities that these guys had was leaps and bounds above anything that cats were doing. I mean, these guys like were super influenced by like Alan Holdsworth. You know, listen to um any of those songs, man, on that record that had a guitar solo, and you would be hard pressed to not think that like Alan Holdsworth was doing a guest spot on there. <laughs> you know, it was just, and that was my first uh, kind of rabbit hole moment where, you know, guitar wise, I started to kind of go down a rabbit hole because I'd never heard guitar players improvise like that. And I was like, man, they have got to be getting some kind of influence from somebody. Where is that coming from? Mm -hmm. Then I got turned on Alan's whole Alan Holdsworth. And it like, you know, you just, it, that's, it just opened. It's a door after a door after a door. Right. Yeah. So for me, that, that first, that, that, that my sugar record, the first time I heard that man was, it was, it changed me, man. Yeah. Change me. Change so me. So that's, that's my first one. Cool. Um, number two for me, I mean, like we say, trying to put them in order is difficult. Um, I probably would go 311's Blue Album. That's a good one. Man, it's a good, a good one. one. Um, 311 was, uh, my dad raised me on all kinds of music, but the one that was in the house a lot was like funk music. He made me understand mm -hmm. the role mm -hmm. of a bass player and a drummer and a drummer to a yep. bass player. So there was a lot of like slap bass stuff in the house before I even picked up drumsticks and 311 comes along. I liked hip hop. I liked funk music mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. boom, you know, it was just all these, this culmination, the blue album is so great. I mean, leading up to that album, there was some really good stuff out there already. Um, yeah. but that album was the one that, that basically put them in a position where they had singles. They were on the radio, you know, don't stay home. And, um, there's just, it, it made them more accessible, I think, because now they were 
they were just like a household name. They were getting played on the radio, like I said. Um, so the Blue Album would be a big one for me. I think it was the juxtaposition to Dream Theater was like seeking out stuff that was a little more funky, a little more rhythmic in that sense. And and of course, the hip hop element was a was a cool addition. Yeah, for sure, man. That was, you know, uh, that one was just outside my top 10. Um, the first record grassroots, um, that's man. Crazy good. So good, man. You know, I love the story of how, uh, Nick Hexum was just, they were struggling in Omaha, Nebraska, and they just pulled all their money together. And he was like, I'm going to fly to Los Angeles. I'm going to find, um, um, Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot mm-hmm. Chili Peppers. I'm going to find him. I want to hand him a demo and say, please listen to this. And he did it. Like they bought one ticket and sent him out mm-hmm. there and he did it. And the rest is history. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this kind of goes back to our, our episode of should you move to Nashville? You know, you're not going to find like heavy hitters in Omaha, Nebraska, no. right? Definitely I mean, not. They they knew exactly what they needed to do. They needed to go to a music mecca city. Yep. And that's what they did. Yep. Right? Like that, you know, if you if you you know, it's like the old adage, you know, if you if you if you go looking for trouble, you'll find it. <laughs> right? If you go to LA, New York, Nashville and look for musicians, guess what? You're gonna find them. You know what I mean? So you're going to find a bunch of them. You're going to find a bunch of them. So that's that's a very, very cool story. Just right. goes to show you, man. It's like we said, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be uh, you got to be in that uh, close to music. Music yep. Mecca's, man, yep. if you want to yep. make it make it happen. You're up, sir. Okay, so my next one, I'm going to go. Oh, man. I'm going to go probably Faith No More, Angel Dust. Mm, what a good album. So I got turned on to Faith No More, my eldest brother. Shout out to my my brother, Patrick, a.k.a. Rick Dog. Um, I remember he got the real thing, which was the first, second, the second Faith No More record. They had done one before that, but they didn't have Mike Patton. They had a different singer. Um, So, you know, obviously, you know, they had the huge radio hit with Epic, but the song that really did it for me on that was they covered War Pigs by yeah. Black Sabbath, yeah. and that thing was nice. Like it was one of the best covers. And they they actually did another cover. They did Easy Like Sunday Morning, which mm-hmm. they killed that killed that too. Um, but that that Angel Dust record, man, like the first thing that stood out to me. Obviously, besides Mike Patton's vocals, was the freaking riffage on that mm-hmm, record. Mm-hmm. There were some just iconic riffs on there, man. You know, Midlife Crisis, Jizz Lobber, um, you know, uh, God, man, just that whole record from start to finish, man. Like, I can really, like, to this day, man. I can put it on and start to finish. Don't have to, don't have to skip a song. Um, but I think what, you know, this was a time when obviously I'm just, it's all rock and metal music at this point. So mm-hmm. when you get something that kind of finds its way into your, 
uh, into your ears. This was a, a, a breath of fresh air into some of the stuff that I was kind of, you know, just getting way too much into. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll kind of touch on this as we get down our, our list, but man, that, 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 that record was just, it, it really, it was super influential, man. Like I started like paying attention to like guitar tones. I was like, man, that, that is some really good guitar tone. What is he using? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of, what kind of stuff is going on there? So I that that's, you know, something that's happening, you know, you're starting to pay attention to the little things, right. you know what I mean? At this point. Um, but yeah, angel dust, faith, no more. Definitely, definitely. Um, definitely in the top 10. Yep. For real. You're, you, you, you are next. Sir. Let's see. Hmm. Looking at this list. I'm probably going to go stone temple pilots core, their first mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to say it and I still say it sometimes when someone asks me about grunge music and mm-hmm. what makes each band unique, you know, how would you not basically throw them all into a, a big, you know, pot, you know, you just really wouldn't want to do that. Um, and most of the time I tell people Nirvana was like the punk grunge band. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's good. Pearl Jam I, was I, like, I to that. Pearl Jam was like the, the, the classic rock grunge band. Um, Soundgarden was like the progressive rock grunge band. Yeah. But to yep. me, Stone Temple Pilots was like the blues rock grunge band. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. That's, I can, I can, I could subscribe to that for sure, man. And I think that they were different for me too, because on the surface, all the hits that were on the radio, they sounded more grunge. But if you, if you get off in the weeds with this album, you find that there's a lot of bluesiness there that actually would have sh- that show up later in later albums. It shows it's, it's, it's had a lot more that blues influence was there. Yeah, it totally um, was there. Um, so that, yeah, that one, I, but I, I definitely like your analogy there of all those bands. Like that was, that's super spot on, man. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the grunge bands that came up, even though they were, they were kind of clumped together because they were trying to be packaged and marketed as, as grunge music, mm-hmm. um, as a genre, which is not even really a thing. Um, they of course had their backgrounds and, and it showed if you got off into those, those, you know, tracks that you didn't hear on the radio, you could really see that influence come out. Oh yeah. Big time, man. Big time. Um, and I think the other thing, uh, just to kind of not to get too far off topic, um, the guy that produced and mixed that record, Brendan O'Brien, like that was kind of what put that guy on the map. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know who Brendan O'Brien is, he is from, I believe he's from Tucker, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Old Georgia boy. Uh, a world-class guitar player, mm-hmm. like world-class guitar player. Um, but like, when I think of Stone Temple Pilots, I think of Brendan O'Brien like that, like, you know, as you, if you become a student of music, you start to really like break down all these records, like who produced the record, you know, where was it mixed? How was it, where was it mixed? Because there's a, every, every producer and, and, and that works with these bands, like they have a, they have a sonic landscape Mm -hmm. that there's, that's associated with them. Right. You know, Def Leppard, Mutt Lang, right. 
Yep. Like that's straight away. Like he created that sound, you know, the band pulled it off, but even those guys in Def Leppard, man, like they'll tell you, man, like that, that was all orchestrated by Mutt Lang, you know, all that stuff. Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, Mm -hmm. same thing, man. Mm -hmm. Like these producers, you know, they tap into the artists to get the best out of them. And then on top of that, their skills that, uh, uh, you know, picking out tones and, and the techniques of recording, all that stuff kind of goes into the stew and out comes the finished product. You know what I mean? And Brendan O'Brien, he did a lot of rock records in the nineties, man. And if you go and look, up his discography and just listen to the records he did, man, they all have a common thread through them. Yep. You're right. Um, They do. It's, it's really, really pretty, pretty neat. Sorry to go off. No, no worries. No worries. Your next Georgia boys. Are we on on four? Are we on our fourth pick? Yeah, we're on number four. So I, I might, I might just go and name off a handful of these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just so we can, you know, get, get to, get to the end of the road here yeah man so like i said for me during this time it was a lot of rock and metal so you know the other thing that really kind of shifted gears for me um was black crows the southern harmony and musical companion record huge record so you know everybody remembers the first record you know hard to handle and she talks to angels and you know, all that stuff. But that second record, man, is a masterpiece, man, of mm-hmm. like Southern rock music. Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, when I heard that record, it was another, it was almost like the Nirvana thing. It was like, you know, I was getting older. I was playing guitar a lot. I was kind of, I was like, okay, I can play a little bit. Like I'm, you know, started to kind of, find my way a little bit mm-hmm. as a, as a guitar player. And then this came and it was like, Oh man, wow. Like this is the kind of, of rock music that I, if you know, like I can do, I can sound like I can emulate, I can play those riffs. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it was a, just, a just super inspiring. And they're all from Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was, you know, just, a huge pivotal record. So that one, um, uh, tool, anima, that one's huge for me. I mean, just, you know, the production to me, that's what stood out. Obviously the lyrical content, the music, but like the production, man, I remember like listening to anima anima in, in somebody's studio on some studio monitors. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it was massive, dude. Massive. So, uh, and I want to go one more. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Deftones Around the Fur. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which was, you know, to kind of circle back to to the whole corn, you know, that whole new metal wave that was that was coming out. Uh, I I I was very much into corn. The first record, first and second record was you know, definitely into it, but man, there was something about the Deftones, man. Like they kind of stood out. Like I just, you know, Chino, man, he just made more melodic. 
Yeah. And I think that's what it is, man. It's just that whole melodic sensibility, man. Like I always, it's just that I like a good cheesy pop song in me, you Mm -hmm. know, always kind of, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to come back to that melodic hook. Right. Yep. Well, I mean, to show that juxtaposition, which we'll get into something here in a minute where we can really discuss that, but like the heavy meets melodic. I mean, you just, that's undeniable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of where, you know, the metal music started to shift for me. You know, I was getting, you know, I just kind of got tired of the cookie monster vocalist, (laughs) you know, over the chugga chugga squeal guitar. Like I needed something, something with a little more substance. So. Nice. With that being said, I volley to you. All right. So you went three. I yeah, like I went three. I like that we're kind of going rapid fire here. Um, yeah. I'm going to go, since we brought up Corn. I'm going to have to bring up Corn's debut album. That album mm-hmm. floored me. I mean, it 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 was one of those that changed me kind of records. Um, I'll always remember when I was a kid, gosh, I'm 19 or 20, and I've got like two 15s in the back of my car Yep. Listening to shoots and ladders. Yep. And it was so good. I brought my dad out yep. there. My dad loves bass players, loves bass yeah. and drums. And the whole like bridge on that song, you guys know what I'm oh, talking God, about. Oh God, dude. Yeah. I mean, killer, to man. watch him get excited listening to that, it was so cool. I was like, this yeah. is, this is corn, you know, doing some, yep. something that was basically kind of old school, but in yeah, a, it such really a, was in a way. way. Yeah. And yeah. Yep. And I think what it was, um, just to kind of, Give my two cents on it, man. You know, looking back, I didn't know this, but it was it was all the production, man. It was the seven string guitars. Nobody was using seven string guitars. Yep, that was huge. Right? You know, the tuning. You know, everything was down to like drop Z flat. <laughs> you know, um, and then you had like a a unique quirky vocalist that that kind of had melodic sensibility to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't all just, you know, cookie monster stuff. It was like, there was some, there was some meat on there melodically. Yeah. yeah. So next up I'll go strange twist here, but Dave Matthews band under the table and dreaming. I mean, Carter Beaufort came through the nineties with like a two foot drop kick. I mean, everybody's <laughs> attention was like, <laughs> Who is this? Like people set up, they were like, yeah. wait a second. Cause this dude, yeah. I mean, you got, you got these songs on the radio and here's a guy playing like 30 second note drum fills and they're being mm-hmm. put on like top 40 radio, you yep. know, incredible drumming, incredible yeah, band. And it was so unique. Yeah. I mean, no electric guitars. I mean, it's super unique band. Even to this day, that album yeah. definitely stands out for sure, man. Songwriting. Great songs, man. I mean, like Jimmy type thing. Mm-hmm. That was a great song, man. I mean, yeah, for sure, man. It definitely holds its, it's got its own little, you know, stranglehold on, yep. uh, speaking on the of, 90s uh, for I'll, sure. I'll go it's one more one. and then we're going to meet in the middle with one. So mm-hmm. Cookie Monster vocals, Pantera, vulgar display of power. And I know <sighs> Pantera is on your list. Oh, yeah. Dude, Mine Pantera, is oh Far Beyond Driven. Both of those that albums, record, like, man. they're interchangeable to me. I mean, that might be blasphemous, but those albums, you could just put mm-hmm. them together as a playlist and get down. I mean, yeah, I mean, I do like, that's one of my workout probably playlists is I kind of have the greatest hits from Bulger and greatest hits from far beyond driven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get my hour in and I'm ready to kill somebody. And I'm just- <laughs> 
So a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine, he stove somebody's face in. (laughs) A buddy of mine sent me a a playlist. Yeah. And he goes, this Metallica, it's Megadeth and it's Pantera. Hit shuffle. You'll be good. And dude, I love Metallica. They come up, Mm -hmm. they play. It's cool. It's great. I like Megadeth enough. They come up. Mm -hmm. It's great. But every single time you come across a Pantera track, you could just feel the energy the just next goes up, level, doesn't it? right? Yeah. A new level. A new level of confidence if you will. and power. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it was just something different. It was so fresh and it felt like they had taken so many, so many steps forward. Uh yeah, Pantera is in the league of their own. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, they really are, man. Like to me, the first thing I think of when I think of Pantera now with my trained brain is that fucking kick drum, excuse my language, the <laughs> kick drum, the the tone of that kick drum, dude, yeah, on yeah. their record. It's the same throughout every record, man. Yeah, that clicky Just sound. It was one of the clicky. first one of the yeah. first bands to do that, especially in a produced yeah. way. And yeah. I, I've read that they took they taped quarters to the bass drum head. Right yeah. where the beater would to hit, get that to get attack, that clicky attack. Yeah, because I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't really a thing you could it, produce. Like you can't no, now. it's trademark, dude. Think about all. I mean, obviously you've got Phillips vocals and the guitars, but man, that kick when you feel yeah. when you hear that kick drum, yeah. like I, it's like it. I, I know exactly what drummer is playing and yes. what band it is. So good. Sorry to get off on a, no, no worries. That's nerd stuff. We can, we can talk about Vinny all day. So yeah. that was my three. John and I are going to meet in the middle with an album that basically changed our lives. And that would have been seven dust, Georgia boys, seven dust first. Yep. Album. Shout out to seven dust. All these guys, man, Lejean, Clint, I mean, we'd love to interview you. We want to interview listening. all of you or individual. I mean, Morgan, we we know some people that know those guys, so we're we're gonna see, you know, we're we're working on that. But yeah, man, that, that we Seven Dust is the pinnacle of an album. Again, an album that changed me, and just that mm-hmm. that soul melodic. Oh my god, like it's just you can be as heavy as you want to be, but when you can take a hard right and go down some melodic path that's got some swagger and some soul to it. Yeah, there's not many bands that do it like that. I mean, it's just no man. There, there, there was nothing, nothing at that time in space that 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 was coming close to what they were doing, man. And they brought in in their live show. They were just as good, brother. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, man. Mm -hmm. Lejean could sing that stuff note for note. I mean, it was just phenomenal, man. I remember I was in Macon. Making Georgia, uh, went to go see a local Atlanta band that was playing at a small club. And then across the street, I didn't even know at the time, but, um, seven dust was headlining and there was another band that was equally awesome. They only had a small glimmer, but they were a good band called snot. Oh yeah. Snot. it was seven dust and snot. Oh my gosh. And, so my buddy's band, they played, you know, they did like a 90 minute set. They had a, you know, like an opening band. They probably played, geez, it was like 20 minutes. So, you know, two hours go by. Um, and I remember, you know, I would go out, you know, uh, back when I smoked nasty cigarettes, I was, I went outside, I was smoking and I could hear snot playing, you know, and they were, they were, it was like, okay, yeah, there's somebody playing over there. That's really good. So by the time, that their gig ended 
Seven Dust was right about to go on, and it was probably like 11 o'clock, 1045. And they come out, you know, the first song is Black, right? Mm. <laughs> and, I, it, you know, they kick into it, and I, I was like, I've got to go over there. $10 cover at the door. <laughs> oh, the 90s, and, we miss you. Yeah, and it, 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 was, it wasn't packed, but it was crowded. But I was able to go make my way to the very front. And man, those guys, they, that was a game changer, man. Like that whole, that whole record, man, from start to finish, man, was just a thing of beauty, man. Yeah. Thing of beauty. My, uh, my seven best story is my brother and I, like that album brought us together. He plays guitar and we were in a band together briefly for about a year and a half. And we got the opportunity to play the old masquerade in mm-hmm. Atlanta and the back of that album, the guys are sitting on the couch that leads up. You know, the, the couch is at the bottom and the mm-hmm. stairs run behind yep. it. It went up to the green room. Oh yeah. And I, I, I don't think, I don't think anyone would, you, you just have to know the history that my brother and I have, but that seven dust album was huge for us. And that couch was there. I and mean, when we got to play, we got to play masquerade twice. And the first time we went, we just kind mm-hmm. of stood there and looked at it. Like just soaked it in. This is real. Like this is real. And we yeah, sat down on it and it was like, we yeah. were somehow absorbing some of seven dust power and just thinking about all the, all the bands that had played there. I mean, even dream theater had played there at, at one point, yeah. you know, like so many bands had played. There's so many bands that sat on that couch, but there was a picture of seven dust sitting on that couch. And we would look at the, I mean, you know, when albums came out, you would look at those pictures and just like, yep. You just, you know, just, just almost put yourself in that, in that, 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 that moment in time. And right. like, man, that could be me. That could be me. And that, I, I guess that's what that. it is. That's exactly what it is. It's like, yeah. that could be me one day, or I hope that's me one day. And just being yeah. near and sitting on that couch, it was like, wait, mm-hmm. it is me. Like it I'm here you. doing this thing, you know? Like, right. It was, it was amazing. That was, yeah, that man. Was seven dust. Good Lord. That's good stuff, man. So Great John, record. we've, we've reached our in common records and okay. I think what we could do, there's only five of them. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to call all five out. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Call, yeah. Tell me which one. I mean, I'm just going to go random order. Okay. I'm almost guaranteeing which one you're going to call out as the the one that's probably still to this day, super influential to you. To this Sound, day. Soundgarden, super unknown. Yeah. Metallica's Black Album. Yeah. Alice in Chains, Dirt. Yeah. Rage Against the Machine, self, self-titled album. And the fifth one, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. Go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, I would say as a guitar player, oh, man, I'm kind of rethinking what I thought I knew. <laughs> I would say as a guitar player, probably would have to be Chili Peppers, man. Because it was so, it was it was different. It was a different approach to the guitar that I was used to. It was so, everything was rhythm guitar chops. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of like burning guitar solos on that stuff, man. It was all rhythm chops. Have you ever listened to it? And I'll challenge anyone that hasn't. If you've ever heard this album, listen to it with a good set of headphones. Oh yeah, yeah because yeah. what's crazy, and it's it'll almost make you dizzy if you're not aware. Mm-hmm. But all of Frusciante's guitar parts are split hard left and hard right. 
Yep. If you listen to it in the car, it sounds nice and full and thick. If you have a nice yep. set of speakers, nice and full and thick. But the headphones, you get that crazy hard left, hard right pan. Mm-hmm. But because of this, you can really pick out those guitar parts that John's talking about. And it's just like chops galore, rhythm on rhythm on rhythm. And it is it is one of the best albums to me to listen to with headphones. Oh yeah, it's a good one, dude. Um I would I would agree with that. And the other the other thing about to kind of piggyback off of that as well is, you know, the obviously listening to it with good headphones, uh, like studio monitors. Um but that one was produced by Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. And if you guys don't know who Rick Rubin is, you probably do. You just don't know that he recorded a lot of that. I mean, a lot of the records that were coming out in the nineties were the rock rock records. They were produced by three or four guys. That's it. And there's a reason why, because there's a, there's the, a certain vibe and sound that once these artists heard chili peppers are like, man, I want my record to sound like that. Mm-hmm. Well, go hire Rick Rubin, let him produce you. And more than likely it, you'll, you'll get that same sonic landscape. But the, yes, to me that transformed m- my focus from shreddy chops to focusing on song playing rhythm, playing and pocket and feel. Mm hmm. Like and being able to lock in with a with the rhythm section like that 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 completely changed the game for me. Yeah. Um. As as a guitar player, because I was so focused on shredding or or you know improvising, soloing, if you will, and mm-hmm. didn't really focus on the most important thing that you could ever do as a guitar player is be a solid rhythm guitar player. To me. That's the most important. If you've learned anything from Uncle Johnny <laughs> over here, the biggest thing I would advise any guitar player to do first and foremost is rhythm chops, man. Make sure that you practice with a metronome. Make sure you practice rhythm guitar playing. It is just as important as improvising. There you go. There's your there's your tip for the day, free of charge. But yeah, that Chili Peppers record, man, like that was just... That was a big, big, you know, swing, you know, the, the kind of swung the, my, my, my momentum mm-hmm. musically for sure. Mm-hmm. It was, was that the one you thought I was going to pick? Actually, I thought you were going to pick the Rage album. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. the Rage album, I, I would say, um, I did. I mean, it, 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 the thing about the Rage record that I think really kind of, made a mark on me was just the it was obviously the 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 piss and vinegar lyrical content Mm -hmm. um but it was it was the riffs man it was the freaking just killer riffs that morello was writing man like you know we're talking pantheon level you know riffs yep you know what I mean? Yeah, those riffs were, I mean, the, of those, I mean, it would be hard to pick just one, especially with Black Album in there. Black Album was a massive, 
influential album even before I was playing drums. I mean, it came out before I started playing drums and, um, but yeah, Rage Against the Machine, it was, it was special. It's political. It was on, I mean, they were on fire with a message. You know, and I was a teenager, I was full of piss and vinegar, you know, I was, you know, nobody was going to tell me what I was going to do. And this band had a song that was saying, fuck you. I won't do what you tell me, (laughs) you know, like it just, over and you know, over, over and over, you know, it just really like tapped into that, that, that emotional state that I was in because, yeah. you know, back when I was a, a young man in high school, I wasn't the ladies man, you know, um, I wasn't a sex symbol like I am now, Chris. <laughs> um, but no, you know what I mean? Like it was just, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of friends I wasn't getting invited to a whole lot of parties, you know, I was just, you know, full of angst, you know, and that really tapped into that, uh, raw angst. But the thing that for me, and I've always been a sucker as just riffs, man, killer mm-hmm. riffs, dude, mm-hmm. you know, ev- everything on that record starts off as some kind of killer riff, dude. Yep. You know, it's you know, you got me, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yep. Take my money, take my money, take my money. Well, John, we've made a, we've made quite the journey. We started in the sixties, uh, with this recording techniques yeah, thing. We've, and we've with, with five episodes dedicated to recording techniques and albums and, and ups and downs and changes. And I mean, it's just, it's amazing to kind of look back on it and see over the course, like how much stuff we discovered ourselves. I hope you mm-hmm. guys, you know, John and I overall, hope that this series has really shed some light on, you know, just how cool and how awesome it is that music has evolved the way it has and and the technology that was there and even the technology that yeah. wasn't there and how that the lack of technology was used and great music yeah. was still being made. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, just kind of a 30,000 foot view of that decade and you and I were kind of talking about it was the the production sonic quality everything seemed to started to ramp up man Mm -hmm. like mixes Mm -hmm. were loud you know you had all of this stereo separation in your mixes because everything was done in pro tools yeah right right everything was going digital man you know you still had cats that were using they had the hybrid system where they had the analog console they were multi-tracking you know, into Pro Tools and then sending the Pro Tools session back into the analog console, mixing in, you know, the analog console to get the the best of both worlds. But what you had was the start of everything being really super loud or really super loud and super compressed. Mm -hmm. Like that was the beginning of that kind of trend. And it, you know, it's still prevalent, man, in, in this popular music you're listening to, man. Like yep. everything's just either super loud or it's super loud and squashed. Yep. You know, which is, that's just what, you know, people perceive louder as better. Mm-hmm. So that's what was kind of starting to happen, man. Like you started to get like these, you know, all of these records, man, uh, that we were mentioning, um, they're sound quality wise they're just massive they just sound massive you know um and it is cool to kind of you know in you know 30 years man 
that's not a whole lot of time if you think about it in in the grand scheme of things to go from four tracks to unlimited tracks unlimited unlimited everything unlimited everything in 30 years okay so you know we're everything is kind of you know we're heading for that next big breakthrough i think mm-hmm. soon you know and i think you're starting to see little glimpses of it and it's just the simple fact that you and i can make hit records from our room from our studios in our house mm-hmm. we really can mm-hmm. you know if we if we track it the right way and send it to a professional um, mixing mastering engineer it's going to sound like a million bucks and and that's kind of where i think we're heading to is the ability for the common musician to be able to do their own thing and make it sound really good right which is which is great i mean to to empower so many people that you know all this really holding you back is just what you can dream up you know like yeah pretty much hard to throw together a studio now and 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 get started you know you you can make it as big as you want to or as little Mm -hmm. as you want to but you can get started and just start creating yeah for sure but yeah man then it's uh, this was fun yeah getting to the 90s because like i said this is a lot of you know a lot of things were, were getting thrown into the cauldron, you know. Everything was getting kind of mixed together, and you're starting to really kind of get a idea of not necessarily what you want to do, but you're starting to kind of find your path Yes, through yes. all of this music, you know. Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, we hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, at this point, John and I have some some cool plans for next episode. This is one, this is either the first, maybe second, but I think it's our first real big, you know, kind of wading out into the, the, the idea of one global idea and then like breaking mm-hmm. it off into several episodes. Yeah. Um, so our first, first venture out into it, um, you know, we would appreciate you guys uh, reaching out and letting us know, like, do you love it? Do you hate it? What could we have done better? Um, yeah, you want to hear yeah. give future? us some feedback, you know, if there's something, you know, you'd like for us to kind of, you know, um, extrapolate on or opine on some more, we'd be willing to do that. Uh, please let us know. Um, we'd like our, uh, we'd like for our people out there to engage with us. Um, and, uh, it's been really cool to get, go through this journey through all the decades. Um, uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's a labor of love for us for it sure. Is. It is. Um, so we've uh, got uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up, man. So you guys stay tuned, and yep, we got uh, got big plans for for GMP. Yeah, man, big plans. Just uh, more and more, guys. We appreciate y'all. We appreciate all the feedback, all the love, all the all the listens and and messages that you send. And uh, we're gonna have more coming y'all's way. But uh, I'm gonna let John do what he does at the end of episode, and we're gonna get out of here. We are out.